Do you feel prepared? With everything going on in the world, do you find yourself thinking about self-defense, home protection, and financial protection more than ever? One form of financial protection is diversification. Gold has often been used to protect assets against inflation. Gold is a global reserve asset, and countries are buying massive amounts of gold as a hedge against financial collapse. It's time to help protect yourself and invest in gold. Stop thinking things are going to get better. You need to look out for yourself and your family. Visit LearnAboutGold.com. LearnAboutGold.com is a simple, free educational website. LearnAboutGold.com can help you learn about gold. Our website has extensive educational resources that can help guide you along the path of precious metals investing. It's time to inform yourself about why owning gold is more important today than ever. LearnAboutGold.com. That's LearnAboutGold.com. Three words. LearnAboutGold.com. Welcome back. President Trump has himself a merry little Christmas. Mitt Romney decides to go after President Trump in his first day on the job. And Louis C.K. gets clobbered by the social justice warriors. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Well, welcome back. I hope that you had a wonderful Christmas and a wonderful New Year's. I know that I did. And I could not be more excited to be back here with you. I know. Sounds like I don't want to be here. But that's not true. I actually do want to be here. I want to be here with you. We're going to get through this next year together because it's going to be one heck of a ride. And we have a lot of news to fill you in on. A lot happened over the last week and a half. Some of it humorous, some of it tragic. There'll be laughs, there'll be smiles, there'll be crying, there'll be tears. There'll be a lot going on in just a second. But first, let's talk about the national debt. $1.2 trillion, that's how much was added to the national debt in fiscal year 2018. Economists say that by the end of 2019, we will be spending more on the interest on our national debt than we spend on Medicare. And by 2023, more than we spend on the military. As balloon payments become due, you should be asking yourself, what exactly is the impact on the U.S. dollar going to be? And what is that impact going to be on your investment? So what's your plan? Can you afford another hit to your retirement like the last downturn when the S&P dropped 50%? Can you really afford the sort of volatility we've been seeing in the stock market lately? Well, a hedge against inflation and a hedge against uncertainty is precious metals. Gold is a safe haven against uncertainty. My savings plan is diversified. Yours should be too. I don't mean take all your money out of the stock market and dump it in gold. I mean, take some of your money and put it in precious metals. It is responsible to be diversified. The company I trust with precious metal purchases is Birch Gold Group. Birch Gold Group has thousands of satisfied customers, countless five-star reviews, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Contact Birch Gold Group. Get a free information kit on physical precious metals. See if diversifying into gold and silver makes sense for you. It's got that comprehensive 16-page kit. Shows how gold and silver can protect your savings, how you can legally move your IRA or 401k out of stocks and bonds into a precious metals IRA, if that's something you're interested in. To get that no-cost, no-obligation kit, go to birchgold.com slash Ben, ask all your questions, and then get yourself some precious metal at birchgold.com slash Ben. Go check them out and start the new year off the responsible way. Okay, so it is a brand new year, and there's a lot of debate already about whether 2019 is going to be 2018, part two, the revenge, or whether it's going to be part one of 2020. Pretty obviously, it's going to be part one of 2020 because everybody is already running for president. Everybody is already trying to figure out whether President Trump is even going to stick around to run again for president. The answer is probably yes. But President Trump had himself a merry little Christmas. He spent the Christmas of his life in the White House by himself, you know, basically waiting out the government shutdown and tweeting furiously from the Oval Office. So he had himself a lot of fun. He was there for Christmas. He was there for New Year's. And that led him to send out a bunch of tweets, a bunch of videos talking about what he's done so far. Now, 
all of that is is fine. Now, the president has accomplished a great many things in his first couple of years in office. Remember, he's only been in office for a little under two years, which is incredible. And so for President Trump, it's sort of like there's Trump years and then there's regular years. So in regular years, it's only been like a couple of years of President Trump's presidency. In Trump years, it's been at least 200 years of President Trump's presidency. Time has warped completely. President Trump has actually been president since 1733 in regular years. But in Trump years, he's only been president for like two years. So there's that. But President Trump listed his historic accomplishments on New Year's Eve in a little video that he cut for Twitter. Here's what it sounded like. I just want to wish you a very, very happy New Year. It's going to be a great year. Complicated, but great. But I will tell you, there has never been an administration, and I'm very proud of this, that's done more than the Trump administration in the first two years of office. We've had a great two years. I'm working hard for you. I'm fighting for you. We're going to win. We're going to win all the way. We're going to win at everything we do. So happy new year and let's enjoy the next year. And then we're going to enjoy the following year. And then we have four more and everything is going to be so beautiful. Thank you very much. Have a fantastic new year. Uh, President Trump then tweeted out about all of his accomplishments. He said, listen, everything's been great so far. You guys just don't appreciate You don't appreciate it. You don't know it. You don't know anything. It's been great. I don't know why I didn't get it. So he tweeted out that everybody should calm down and enjoy the ride. He tweeted out in all capital letters. <laughs> this, was, this was his first tweet of the new year. Happy New Year to everyone, including the haters and the fake news media. 2019 will be a fantastic year for those not suffering from Trump derangement syndrome. So calm down and enjoy the ride. All capital letters. Great things are happening for the country. Nothing says to me, calm down and enjoy the ride, like somebody tweeting that at me in all capital letters. I know that if I'm in the back of the car, and somebody in the front of the car says, calm down and enjoy the ride. <laughs> Nothing is going to make me calm down and enjoy the ride quite like that. But you know, there was this feeling of incipient panic that was building up in the last days of 2018. And now it has carried forward into 2019. President Trump's furious tweets over the break were not helpful that way. Again, the president has accomplished a lot of things in his first couple of years in office. It's not supremely helpful to be leading off his reelection campaign with him kind of hunkered down in the White House, just tweeting whatever comes into his mind. Right now, what the White House should be projecting is a feeling of invincibility, a feeling of calm, a feeling of collected, collected goal-making and, and shared purpose. And instead, what we're sort of getting is President Trump feeling isolated and tweeting out a lot of things. Now, a lot of the things he's tweeting are true, by the way. So the president, for example, was tweeting out a lot about the border. Remember, we're still in the middle of a government shutdown. That shutdown was initiated by the Democrats. There's been a lot of talk about President Trump initiating the shutdown because he was foolish enough to claim on national television that he wanted to own the shutdown. But in reality, President Trump did not really initiate the shutdown. It was the Democrats who initiated the shutdown in the sense that they could just give him $5 billion for his wall and then be done with it. He'd claim victory. They'd be able to go home and sleep at night. Instead, they've decided to deny him that funding. So this led President Trump to tweet out a lot about the border wall. Now, this would be a decent use of Twitter if it were not for all of his other use of Twitter. He tweeted out, President and Mrs. Obama built has a 10-foot wall around their D.C. mansion and compound. I agree, totally necessary for their safety and security. U.S. needs the same, ver same thing, slightly larger version. Okay, well, that's fine. Everybody went nuts. How dare President Trump mention they have a wall around their home as though that's a security breach? It's not a security breach, okay? I have a wall around my home. Most people have some sort of fence around their house, especially in California. But President Trump then continued, the Democrats will probably submit a bill, being cute as always, which gives everything away but gives nothing to border security, namely the wall. You see, without the border security, without the wall, there can be no border security. The other stuff just is just by comparison, is just by comparison meaningless bells and whistles. 
Remember this. Throughout the ages, some things never get better and never change, President Trump tweeted. You, all, you have walls and you have wheels. It was always that way, and it will always be that way. Please explain to the Democrats there can never be a replacement for a good old-fashioned wall. Well, first of all, you can have walls and you can have wheels and you can have fire. These are great inventions of the past, and President Trump, I can't wait to hear his, his essay on why the invention of fire was such a, a useful thing. But all of this is not particularly terrible, right? The President Trump going after the Democrats on the wall stuff is not particularly terrible. It's just that the incessant nature of it is not good politics. And this is going to become an issue for President Trump come 2020. Because when it comes to the issues, President Trump has been pretty good. As I've said many times, I did not expect him to govern this conservatively when he was elected in 2016. He has governed far more conservatively than I thought he was going to. With that said, the character flaws that the president has evidenced are going to be the chief reason why people are uncomfortable with him. It's what's going to hurt him at the polls. It's what's going to alienate people come 2020. It's that stuff he has to get under control. And it's also where the Democrats are putting all their heavy pressure. They're putting all their heavy pressure right now on the character point. Leading that charge was General Stanley McChrystal. He's going to be on our Sunday special this week, by the way. General McChrystal was on ABC's This Week over the weekend, and he basically slammed President Trump's character. Here he was talking with the very objective journalist, George Stephanopoulos. I think it's important for me to work for people who I think are basically honest, who tell the truth as best they know it. You think he's a liar? I don't think he tells the truth. Is Trump immoral in your view? I think he is. If we want to be governed by someone we wouldn't do a business deal with because their, their background is so shady, if we're willing to do that, then that's in conflict with who I think we are. So there's McChrystal Sess with Martha Raddatz on, on ABC's This Week going after Trump's character. Now, this was always going to be Trump's Achilles heel was going to be the character point. It has been for a very long time. Right? President Trump has never been a guy of supreme moral fiber, shall we say. And this was one of his selling points in 2016 was, you don't have to worry about me pulling my punches. I'm not going to pull my punches. I've never pulled my punches. I'm not that kind of guy. Well, he didn't pull his punches against General McChrystal either. He then tweeted out in response. And this is where, again, a little bit of, of wherewithal from the president would be a lot more useful than what he is doing here because he says something pretty immoral here. He says, General McChrystal got fired like a dug by Obama. And he puts general in, in quotation marks and scare quotes. First of all, General McChrystal is an actual general who served 34 years in the military under some very trying circumstances. And he was fired by Obama because he was very critical of Obama's strategy in Afghanistan because he said Obama wasn't being hawkish enough in Afghanistan. So it's not like he got fired for a bad reason. But President Trump goes off on him. He says, General McChrystal got fired like a dug by Obama. Last assignment, a total bust for a big, dumb mouth. Hillary lover. Okay, which is weird. Hillary hasn't had a lover in decades. But in any case, President Trump tweeting out about how General McChrystal isn't an actual general, obviously not a, a great a great look for, for the president of the United States, saying that he was fired like a dug. I, again, as I've said before on the show, President Trump loves saying that people were fired like a dug. I, I don't know where he grew up where dogs were fired. I've never actually seen a dog fired. Uh, it, it'd be weird, right? You're doing a terrible job, dog. You're fired. But in any case, President Trump says that General McChrystal was fired like a dug. Again, the, the, the point that I'm making here is a broader one, which is that if President Trump wishes to win re-election, he is going to have to convince the American people that he is actually fit for the job as a character. It's not just that he's superior to the Democrat, but now we've actually seen him in the presidency. He said before he was elected, he could be Lincoln-esque. He could be like Washington. Might not be the way that he's used to working, but he could kind of grow into the office. And 
every day he proves on a character level that he's not actually doing that. Now, does that mean, does that mean that President Trump can't win re-election? No, of course not. Democrats could win somebody radical. They could run somebody crazy. The economy could, could, could continue to be good. Circumstances could continue to benefit President Trump. Lots of things could happen. Would it be easier for President Trump if he could somehow change his character? Yes. Is that going to happen? No, it's not going to happen. And that raises a question for Republicans. And that question was really raised by Mitt Romney over the weekend. So Romney is the new incoming senator from Utah. And let's face a fact about Mitt Romney. It was Mitt Romney's defeat in 2012 that I think broke the country. Because Mitt Romney was maybe the most decent guy to run for president of the United States in my lifetime. He was as clean as the driven snow in his personal life. He was a guy who was moderate in his politics, so moderate that he had been governor of Massachusetts and well-beloved by a lot of members of the left who had given him strange new respect up to the point when he won the Republican nomination. They proceeded to destroy him, slander him, call him a bad human being, and then he lost to Barack Obama in Obama's re-elect effort in 2012. And that led Republicans to believe, listen, if they're going to drag somebody like Mitt Romney through the mud, if Romney's good character and five bucks would have bought him a cup of coffee in the 2012 election, then why do we need a guy of character in 2016 at all? Let's just get the nastiest guy who can throw the most punches and let's nominate that guy. Well, now Mitt Romney is back and he is criticizing President Trump on a character level. And I'll explain why what he's doing here is tactically inept, why it's tactically inept, why you can criticize President Trump's character when President Trump says things that are character free, like putting scare quotes around general when dealing with Stanley McChrystal. Why you can say that, that when President Trump does stuff that is bad, it's bad. But that's not the same thing as what Mitt Romney did today in the pages of the Washington Post. I'll explain in just one second. First, let's talk a little bit about how you are going to send all your packages in the upcoming year. So the post office is a great place. Post office has a lot of great services. You can mail all your stuff, obviously, for a cheap fare. And also they're, they're relatively efficient and all that. But you know what's even more efficient? Sitting at your desk and not having to go down to the post office. Stamps.com makes that possible. That's why I use Stamps.com. It's why the Daily Wire uses Stamps.com. Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. Postal Service directly to your computer. It's the faster, more convenient way to get postage. You can simply use your computer and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. The mail carrier picks it up. No more lugging mail to the post office. No more hassles. Stamps.com not only saves you time, it saves you money as well. With Stamps.com, you get discounted postage rates that you can't get at the post office. Not to mention, it's a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. Go check out Stamps.com right now. Again, it's going to save you a lot of time, which means saving you a lot of money. It does for us here at The Daily Wire. Right now, you can enjoy that Stamps.com service with a special offer. It includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale. Start off the new year right. Go to Stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage. Type in promo code Shapiro. That is Stamps.com. Enter a promo code Shapiro. Stamps.com. Promo code Shapiro. Go check it out right now. Stamps.com. Promo code Shapiro. Okay, so Mitt Romney, his first day in office. So what does he decide to do? Write an entire op-ed about how unpalatable President Trump is. Now, there are those of us in the commentary community whose job it is to actually comment when the president does good stuff and when the president does bad stuff. I've been using the so-called good Trump, bad Trump model since 2015, since 2015, 2016, when President Trump was then just candidate Trump. But Mitt Romney has been highly critical of Trump throughout. He was very critical of him in 2016. He gave a long speech about how he thought Trump was unfit to be president of the United States. And then Trump thought about him for secretary of state, picked Rex Tillerson instead, sort of humiliated him publicly. And then Romney ran for Senate in Utah and took President Trump's endorsement. And now Romney is turning back around on Trump and smacking him directly in the grill. He has a piece today in the Washington Post titled, The President Shapes Public Character of the Nation. Trump's Character Falls Short. Now, Here's the problem with what Mitt Romney is, is doing here. I may agree with a lot of his points with regard to the president's character. 
what he is doing is trying essentially to force Republicans, trying to force conservatives into now having to choose between quote unquote conservatism and Trumpism. It's a false choice. It's a false choice. He's trying to force people to have to choose between President Trump and conservatism. And that may have been more of a choice in 2016 before Trump was president, but Trump is president now. And Trump's given us a lot of very conservative policies. Here's what Mitt Romney writes today. And it does beg a particular question, which is whether Mitt Romney is going to try to primary President Trump come 2020. So Romney writes, the Trump presidency made a deep descent in December. The departures of Defense Secretary Jim Mattis and White House Chief of Staff John Kelly, the appointment of senior persons of lesser experience, the abandonment of allies who fight beside us, and the president's thoughtless claim that America has long been a sucker in world affairs all defined his presidency down. It is well known that Donald Trump was not my choice for the Republican presidential nomination. After he became the nominee, I hoped his campaign would refrain from resentment and name-calling. It did not. When he won the election, I hoped he would rise to the occasion. His early appointments were encouraging, but on balance, his conduct over the past two years, particularly his actions last month, is evidence that the president has not risen to the mantle of the office. And those are pretty strong words that the president hasn't risen to the mantle of the office, meaning basically he is still unfit for the presidency. He says it's not that all of the president's policies have been misguided. He was right to align U.S. corporate taxes with those of global competitors, to strip out excessive regulations, to crack down on China's unfair trade practices, to reform criminal justice, to appoint conservative judges. These are policies mainstream Republicans have promoted for years. But policies and appointments are only part of a presidency. Well, I'll continue by explaining more about Mitt Romney's perspective here in just a second and why he's doing it in the pages of the Washington Post and what this means for the sort of choice that is going to be set up falsely by Romney and by the press in 2020 for Republicans. I'll explain that in just a second. Mitt Romney says, to a great degree, a presidency shapes the public character of the nation. A president should unite us and inspire us to follow our better angels. A president should demonstrate the essential qualities of honesty and integrity and elevate the national discourse with comedy and mutual respect. As a nation, we have been blessed with presidents who have called on the greatness of the American spirit. With the nation so divided, resentful and angry, presidential leadership in qualities of character is indispensable. And it is in this province where the incumbent's shortfall has been most glaring. Then he talks about how in 2016, 84% of people in Germany, Britain, France, Canada, and Sweden believed the American president would do the right thing in world affairs. One year later, that number had fallen to 16%. I don't know why he's citing that poll. Obama was terrible for foreign affairs. And who cares what the Germans have to say about American foreign policy? But Romney continues. He talks about America abdicating leadership. And then he talks about repairing our fiscal foundation. Basically, this piece, run, this piece reads like Mitt Romney is interested in running for president again in 2020. That's what it reads like. He concludes his piece by saying, I remain optimistic about our future. In an innovation age, Americans excel. More importantly, noble instincts live in the hearts of Americans. The people of this great land will eschew the politics of anger and fear if they are summoned to the responsibility by leaders in homes, in churches, in schools, in businesses, in government who raise our sights and respect the dignity of every child of God, the ideal that is the essence of America. So first of all, I want to argue with Romney's general perception of the presidency. I don't think that the president really raises the level of the American people as a general rule. I think the American people may raise the level of the president, but the president is a guy hired to do a particular job if you get your moral guidance from the president of the United States, I would suggest that you're looking to the wrong places. If you get your moral guidance from your teachers, from your parents, from your family, from your pastor, from your priest or rabbi, that seems to make a lot more sense to me than getting your moral guidance from Barack Obama, Donald J. Trump, George W. Bush, or anybody else in what is a public governmental office. But in any case, what Romney's doing here is really counterproductive. Now, again, this is coming from someone who's been quite critical of President Trump's character but not in the pages of the Washington Post since President Trump became president. And the reason for that is because what Romney is actually doing now is he's setting up the possibility of a primary run against Trump. 
Now, there's been a lot of talk about this from a certain segment of the Republican Party, and it's a big mistake. The reason that it's a big mistake is because basically what you are now suggesting, what the media will suggest, is that a primary race between, say, Mitt Romney and Donald Trump is a race between true decency and conservatism versus the evil, evil Trump guy. And then when Trump wins the primaries, it'll be, well, look at those deplorable Republicans. They voted for Trump over Mitt Romney. Look at those terrible, terrible Republicans, those evil, terrible people who voted for the incumbent president when they were given a choice of a more decent, kinder, gentler alternative. When that isn't the actual calculus. Okay, because whoever runs against Trump in a primary is going to have to basically make three cases. They're going to have to declare that they are a person of better character than Trump, which in all plausibility will be true probably. They'll, say that they'll have to say they're a better representative of conservatism than Trump in 2020, which probably will not be true in terms of policy. And then they'll have to say that they're more likely to win in 2020 than Trump, which is likely to be false. And that's going to be the calculus that actual Republican voters do. When they look at 2020, they're not just going to say in a vacuum, who would I prefer, Mitt Romney or Donald Trump? They're going to look and say Mitt Romney lost in 2012 and Trump won in 2016. So I'm more likely to vote for the guy who I think is going to win, Trump. They're going to look at Mitt Romney in 2012 versus Trump in 2020 and say Trump has a record of appointing now, probably by that point, 100 federal judges. Trump has a record of cutting regulations. Trump has a record of rebuilding alliances in the Middle East. President Trump has a record of criminal justice reform and movement of the U.S. Embassy in Israel to Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the American military and, God willing, a decent economy. And they're going to look at all those factors and they're going to say, I'll pick Trump over Romney. But what Romney will have set up and have done so in the pages of The Washington Post is this false narrative that choosing Trump over a Romney or a John Kasich or somebody else in the Republican Party is just Republicans doubling down on Trump's lack of character, which is really not what's going on here. And most people accept it in the middle of 2015, 2016, what Trump was as a human being. Most people certainly since then know what he is as a human being. I don't think there are a lot of Republicans sitting around thinking that this guy is somebody you'd recommend to be your pastor, somebody that you'd recommend to babysit your kids when you go out for dinner at night. But... They look at his record, they look at the fact that he beat Hillary Clinton, and they'd be likely to vote for him in a primary. But what Romney is doing here is he is setting up a narrative that the left will use to club Republicans into submission, which is that if you vote for Trump in 2020, then this is because you're a bad person. It reinforces the deplorables theme that Democrats used to their great advantage in 2016 and hope to use particularly to advantage with younger people in upcoming elections. That's bad news. And so what Romney is doing here is strategically inept unless he believes that Trump is going to leave office in disgrace, in which case he's basically positioning to be the heir apparent and to pick up the mantle saying, well, I stood athwart Trump all these years and now you should hand it over to me. By the way, the chances of that happening are zero. Republicans are not handing over the party to the guy who lost to Barack Obama in his, in his reelect effort in 2012. It's not going to happen. The general feeling among Republicans about Romney is that Romney's a perfectly serviceable, nice fellow who lost to Barack Obama and is really milquetoast and is spending more time ripping Trump these days than he is going after Democrats. That's the general perception among Republicans. Now, that's not to say that there aren't problems with the Republican view of Trump in certain quarters. I think there are problems. For example, today, Jerry Falwell did an interview in the Washington Post that is not great. I'll explain that in just one second. But first, let's talk about a present that you should get for somebody this new year, and for yourself, honestly. That is the gift of an awesome timepiece. I'm talking about a watch that is classic and minimalist looking. I'm talking about a watch that I wear pretty much every day. The Movement Watch. Okay, MVMT watches are just fantastic. They are not designed to tell you how many calories you've lost or how many steps you've taken. Instead, they are designed to tell you the time and to do so in a classy looking way. It looks like a really expensive watch. And instead, it is a relatively inexpensive watch. 
this kind of watch is going to cost you four or 500 bucks at the department store. Well, if you get it from mbmt.com slash Shapiro right now, you can get it for like 100 bucks. And these watches are just great. Okay, I'm all about supporting ground-up entrepreneurs who work hard for what they want, which is why I love Movement. They're a true success story, and it makes wearing their products a lot more meaningful. Again, these watches are all about looking good. They start at like 95 bucks. You're looking at four to 500 bucks for the same quality at a department store. Clean design, minimal, really quality products. Movement has sold almost 2 million watches in over 160 countries. Get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to mvmt.com. I love my Movement watch. I've got two of them. My wife has a Movement watch. My mom has a Movement watch. My dad has a Movement watch. There's a reason I get movement watches for everybody, not just because they're a sponsor, but also because they're great. MVMT.com slash Shapiro. Go check them out. They're always adding new styles. MVMT.com slash Shapiro. Go join the movement. MVMT.com slash Shapiro. Go check it out right now. Speaking of the attempt to paint Republicans as bad characters, Jerry Falwell Jr., uh, who is the head of Liberty University, a great institution. I love the students at Liberty U. I spoke there last year. It's, it's really a fantastic, fantastic place. But Jerry Falwell Jr. is doing a poor job of representing Republicans when it comes to President Trump, particularly, again, playing into the narrative that Republicans don't need. So as I say, going forward to 2020, the narrative that would benefit Republicans is President Trump changes character. Barring that, the narrative that Republicans are going to want to push is, you may not like President Trump's character. I may think that he's a bad character myself, but is he getting the job done? So far, the answer is yes. And so I'm not going to turn over the government to radical leftists simply to show my disdain for President Trump's character which I have done every day since President Trump basically announced whenever he has done something wrong. I don't have to throw the election to Elizabeth Warren or Kamala Harris in order to demonstrate that I don't like President Trump's tweeting. That that is not a necessity of American government. That seems like a better argument. But unfortunately, there are Republicans like Mitt Romney who want to make this next election a choice between President Trump's character and conservatism, which is not an actual choice. That's not the choice that's happening here. And then there are people like Jerry Falwell Jr., who sort of want to force the same choice. They want to suggest that President Trump is actually a godsend in every possible way. So Jerry Falwell Jr. has this long interview in the Washington Post when he talks about how President Trump is just spectacular. And uh, he was asked about whether Christians were supposed to support nice guides. He said, it's a distortion of the teachings of Jesus to say that what he taught us to do personally, to love our neighbors as ourselves, help the poor, can somehow be imputed on a nation. Jesus never told Caesar how to run Rome. He went out of his way to say, that's the earthly kingdom. I'm about the heavenly kingdom, and I'm here to teach you how to treat others, how to help others. But when it comes to serving your country, you render under Caesar that which is Caesar's. Hey, I have a real problem with this basic idea, which is that uh, like, it's, it's an Augustinian idea, this, this city of God, city of man distinction. And it's not quite as firm as Jerry Falwell Jr. Is, is making it right here, which is basically that Christians have no say in how the nation is to be governed. That render under Caesar what is Caesar's means that Christians should have no care about the character of their leaders is, is a very weird contention. And then he talks about how there's literally nothing that President Trump could do that would endanger his support. That's an amazing statement. Again, people of principle should always say the answer is yes. There's always stuff that Trump could do to endanger my support. Right? He endangers my support every day when he picks up, when, 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 he, when he decides to do something unpalatable. Right? You should feel that way about every politician, by the way. Even politicians that you love. Politicians that you love should endanger your support every time they go out every day because one pretty fundamental element of faith is that you should have faith in God, but not in man. To say that nothing President Trump could ever do would endanger your support is an amazing statement from a Christian leader. But this is, again, reinforcing a narrative that the left wants, which is that it's either total fealty to Trump or conservatism and decency. That's, That's a false choice, and it's not a real choice, and it's not what's really 
going on right here. Again, I think that Jerry Falwell Jr. does a disservice when he does interviews like this. And again, this is this is the this is the narrative that Democrats are going to try to push in 2020. Now, the good news for Republicans is that Democrats are going to have a really tough time pushing this particular narrative in 2020 because they've become so radical themselves. So the narrative Democrats won in 2020 is the reverse narrative of 2000. In 2000, it was two years after the Clinton impeachment scandal and the Monica Lewinsky stuff, and President Clinton was out of the picture. But Al Gore was now running for the White House, and George W. Bush was running on the basis of bringing character back to the Oval Office. It's the same thing that Jimmy Carter did in 1976 when he ran against Gerald Ford. It's time for us to bring character back to the White House. That's usually a pretty successful tack. But in order to make that claim, you actually have to be some semblance of normal and moral. And the problem for Democrats is that there aren't too many candidates in their ranks who are anything remotely resembling normal and moral. The latest case in point is Elizabeth Warren. So Elizabeth Warren, is she declared over the weekend that she wants to run for president, which is a shock to precisely no one. She'd been sending smoke signals from her wigwam about it for legitimately years at this point. So she announced that she would be running for president. And then she said she was going to build a grassroots campaign and that she would be wandering the plains in search of, of both Buffalo and voters. Here is Senator, very Native American, Elizabeth Warren, talking about exploring her presidential run in front of a garage uh, before the Boston, the assembled Boston media. Right now, Washington works great for the wealthy and the well-connected. It's just not working for anyone else. But I am optimistic. I believe in what we can do together. Um, I'm going to build a grassroots campaign. It's already got people from all across this country who are going to be part of it. And together, we're going to make change. And if people out there see it and want to be part of it, I hope they go to ElizabethWarren.com and join us because this is how we're going to build the movement that I mean, will she change is, America. She is inspiring. I mean, it's like her campaign manager went out there and said, okay, we want Hillary's campaign without the name recognition or the charisma. Let's do that. Let's, let's just make that happen right there. I mean, it was so bad, her presidential announcement, that not only did she have to avoid a question about her DNA and her Native American ancestry, which she did, she also did, she tried to, be a cool kid. I'll show you the cool kid thing in a second. Here was Elizabeth Warren being asked about her Native American DNA. This is why the Democrats are going to have a, a little bit of a tough time arguing character against President Trump because they can't even get their own party on board with saying it's okay to be a particular genetic ancestry. The reason Elizabeth Warren has to pretend to be Native American is because she doesn't rank high enough on the intersectionality scale for Democrats to care about her. That's what's happening here. She's out Bernie by Bernie Sanders. She's out Obama by Beto O'Rourke. And she is out, she is out intersectionality by Kamala Harris. So she really has no path here, right? She's not diverse enough. She's not radical enough like Bernie Sanders. And she's not charming enough like Beto O'Rourke. And so she is kind of forced into this weird corner where two, two years ago she was a hot thing. And now she's a nothing. Here is Elizabeth Warren dodging the DNA question. I worry about electability. I worry about a campaign more about Native American ancestry than the middle class. You know, look, I'm in this fight because I understand what's happening to working families. I grew up in a paycheck to paycheck family. And my big chance was a commuter college that cost $50 a semester. I run for office because I'm grateful down to my toes for the opportunities that were given to me. And I am determined that we will give those same opportunities, not just to some of our kids, but to all of our yeah, kids. Yeah, I'm sure she's gonna just blow Trump out of the water with that kind of character and charisma, I'm sure. My favorite part of her campaign is that she opened up by then doing an Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez style Instagram. So 
AOC, we will call her AOC because that's the thing now, right? They've got notorious RBG, we've got AOC, we've got all of these, these initialed political leaders. Um, but AOC does these political Instagrams where she cooks like instant pot recipes while taking questions from her mailbag. My instant pot recipe would basically be cereal and milk, by the way, if I were to do an Instagram like this. But in any case, I love that Elizabeth Warren, she's, she's basically the Steve Buscemi character from Saturday Night Live, How Do You Do Fellow Kids? Right? She's, she's walking into the Instagram and she is now doing instant pot recipes while in her kitchen while drinking beer. I don't know if you remember in 2016, Hillary Clinton went to Cedar Rapids and she, she had like a can of, of some sort of juice or something. She said, I'm just chilling in Cedar Rapids. Well, here's, here's Elizabeth Warren doing that. I'm going to get me um, a beer. My husband, Bruce, okay. is now in here. Um, you want a beer? No, I'll pass on the beer for now. You sure? Okay. Okay. Say yes. So hey, this is my sweetie. Hello. Um, <laughs> he's, and I'm oh, crazy. You are. Yeah. I love you. I love you, too. Okay. Thank you for being here. Pleasure. I'm glad you're here. Yeah. Enjoy your beer. Who else have we got? Uh, Kenny? Is that right? Kenny and the boys? So there's grandma swigging off the top right there. Uh, yeah, that's, that's going to go over great with the kids. The kids are like, oh man, she's awesome because she drinks beer. She's the best. Wow. Look at grandma over there taking out her teeth and then swigging on the beer. Yeah, that's, yeah this is going to go great for the Democrats. We'll get to more of the Democrats being unable to, to play the character card against President Trump in just a second. Again, part of character is also a feeling of authenticity. Nothing is less authentic than that video. I mean, that, that, that video is just airsats garbage. It's, it's, so, it's so fantastic in pretty much every way. I haven't seen a candidate that inauthentic since Hillary Clinton, since they did this last time. We'll get to all that in just a second. First, I want to talk to you about your impending doom. So I know it's the new year and you're in a good mood because guess what? We're going to jump back into work and have a brand new year, but you could die this year. I mean, I'm just, I, I don't mean to break it to you that way. You could plot. I mean, you could just be driving around tomorrow and boom, your year was two days old. Right? That, that could have been a thing that happened to you. But in order for you to make sure that your family is not left bereft, if that should happen to you, you really should have some life insurance. Getting life insurance is one of the more intimidating parts of becoming a full-fledged adult, but if you are into adulting, you may want to get life insurance, and you should get life insurance, because Policy Genius is around. Policy Genius have created a website that make it easy for you to compare quotes, get advice, get covered without extra fees or commissioned sales agents. Policy Genius is the easy way to get life insurance in minutes. You can compare quotes from top insurers to find the coverage you need at a price you can afford. From there, you can apply online. The advisors at Policy Genius will handle all the red tape. They'll even negotiate your rate with the insurance company. It's all part of their best price guarantee. And Policy Genius doesn't just make life insurance easy. Whether you're shopping for disability insurance to protect your income, homeowner's insurance or auto insurance, they can help you get covered fast. Like, listen, I'm sick today and I could plot later today, but I have life insurance because I was responsible. You should also be responsible. You should go get life insurance right now at Policy Genius. In minutes, you can compare quotes and apply. I've checked out Policy Genius. It really is easy and user-friendly. You can do the whole thing on your phone right now. Policy Genius, it's the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. Go check it out right now, policygenius.com, and go check out their life insurance possibilities in minutes. Well, we have a lot more coming up on today's show because we have such a backlog of things to talk about. We have to get to all of them. But first, you have to go over to dailywire.com and subscribe. So for $9.99 a month, you can get the rest of this show live. You get the rest of the Michael Knowles show live. I don't know why you'd want that, but sure, you can have it if you want it. I mean, if you also want syphilis, we can give that to you probably. We can find someone here to... Maybe not. Maybe we can't give that to you. But we can give you Michael Knowles' show. We can also give you Andrew Clavin's show live. Also, coming up in 2019, beginning next week, the Ben Shapiro radio show will be extending to three hours, which means that we are adding two 
full hours with all the great content you have come to enjoy unless you listen live on the radio. Only Daily Wire subscribers will be able to get the full three-hour show on demand. We're also going to be taking some questions during some of the breaks and stuff, so make sure to become a Daily Wire subscriber today. Also, coming up tomorrow, don't miss our next episode of Daily Wire Backstage where you can watch a bunch of us dudes. Some of them smoke cigars and drink whiskey. I sit there and I sip water and smoke a bubble pipe because I don't approve of all of this machismo. But Andrew Clavin will be there. Michael Knowles, the execrable, will be there. Alicia Krause, who is not, in fact, a beer-drinking, beer-swilling, cigar-smoking man, will be there as well. Daily Wire God King Jeremy Boring and his beard will both be there. And I will be here to ring in the new year and, of course, answer your questions. As always, only Daily Wire subscribers get to ask the questions, so make sure to subscribe today. Also, so many goodies to mention today. This Sunday, General Stanley McChrystal, on the Sunday special, he had some things to say. And you're going to want to hear all those things that he had to say because he really is kind of an interesting guy. So go check that. Here's what it sounded like. Hi, I'm Stan McChrystal. Join us this week on the Ben Shapiro Show for the Sunday special. We're going to talk about politics, talk about leadership, talk about my new book, Leaders, Myth, and Reality, and all the kinds of things in the world that are on our minds. Okay, so go check that out. So many good things happening this year. And I I promise you, I have so many exciting plans for this year. You're going to want to be part of the team. Go to dailywire.com, subscribe. $99 a year. You get all of those things, plus this. The greatest and leftist here is hot or cold tumblers. Now, you may have noticed that I'm ill today. You know why I'm ill? I was on vacation. You know what I didn't have with me on vacation? This thing right here, this leftist tears hot or cold tumbler. I was in Hawaii, and I didn't bring it with me because when I travel, I'm loathe to bring the possibility of damage to my precious leftist tears hot or cold tumbler. Well, I protected it, but it did not protect me, and thus I am sick. I'm not saying that you can be protected by all disease and harm in life by drinking from the leftist tears hot or cold tumbler. All I'm saying is that correlation may be causation. When I didn't have the tumbler, got sick. When I did have the tumbler, didn't get sick. I don't know what to tell you. Go check it out right now. $99 a year, get all those things, plus the leftist tears hot or cold tumbler, which will bring you happiness and fulfillment in life. I know, material things can't, but this can. Maybe. In any case, go check that out. We always appreciate your listenership. We are the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast in the nation. Happy New Year. By the way, if Elizabeth Warren had actually had a drink of beer from the leftist tears, hot or cold tumbler, it would have made her video a lot cooler. So Elizabeth Warren, going to have a tough time running against President Trump. And meanwhile, the Democrats are busy clubbing each other with bricks over the 2020 nomination. Every Democrat on planet Earth wants to run Governor Jay Inslee of Washington State. Who? Yeah, I know. He wants to run Eric Swalwell. Who? Yeah, he wants to run Eric Garcetti. The horrible, horrible mayor of Los Angeles wants to run. Like, name a Democrat, and that person probably wants to run for president. (coughs) The top three candidates right now on the Democratic side are pretty obviously Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, and Beto O'Rourke. I think that O'Rourke wins the nomination, if I had to predict it right now. He's the one with the momentum. He's the only one of these guys who's charming. He's got the press behind him. I mentioned before the break that I think that Beto O'Rourke is the only candidate who has the possibility of sort of unifying the various parts of the Democratic Party. But the problem for the Democrats is that while they are running on character issues against President Trump, politics sometimes betrays character. And when the Democrats go so radical on politics that they seem wildly out of kilter and off base, when they seem like they are not in touch with the American people, people take that as a character critique, too. And so it doesn't help them when their top politicians are saying things about climate change. Like So Bernie Sanders, the, the socialist loon bag from Vermont, he tweeted out the other day, We must look at climate change as it was devastating military attack against the United States and the entire planet. We must respond accordingly. Well, I mean, if Bernie Sanders has, well, I guess that means that we would surrender 
Right? If there were a devastating military attack against the United States, I guess Bernie Sanders' take would be that we should surrender to global warming. But in any case, this is, if the Democratic pitch is President Trump is immoral, we have to treat it being hotter outside the same way that we would treat a military attack by nuking the power plants, like by shooting the sun. I'm not sure what he's recommending there. That's going to be a bit of a hard pitch. He's not the only one saying this. This is the new Democratic pitch. Their moral case, their political moral case is that President Trump is not just a man of little character, which, again, I think is a case that can be made. The case that they are going to try and make is that President Trump is immoral in his politics. And the way they've been making that case has been really awkward because they've been making the case that he's immoral because he wants a wall, which is patently not immoral. In fact, it's a good idea to have some sort of border barrier to prevent people from illegally immigrating into the United States. And now they're trying to make the case that President Trump is almost a Hitlerian character because he doesn't care enough about climate change, an issue about which most Americans don't care. Jerry Brown, our senile governor of California, who's been governor since approximately 1833, legitimately, he's, he's now 1,211 years old. It's really amazing. So Jerry Brown is doddering around here in, in my home state, and he says that climate change is as devastating as the Nazis to humanity, which comes as a shock to my people. Uh, like, no, not smuch. Like, it was, it was, it's been hot outside, but it was a lot hotter in certain situations for Jews in the past. Here's Jerry Brown from California making the place that climate change is just like Hitler and the Nazis. I would point to the fact that it took Roosevelt many, many years to get America uh, willing to go into World War II and fight the Nazis. Well, we have a, an enemy, okay. uh, though different, but perhaps uh, very much devastating in a similar way, and we got to fight climate change, and the president's got to lead on that. Okay, so it's just like Roosevelt mobilizing America for World War II is just like the president mobilizing America to fight global warming. If this is the moral case the Democrats are going to make, they're going to have a tough time. So here, here's the thing. In the late 90s, Americans basically came to the conclusion that you could divorce character and politics, that President Clinton's character and his politics were completely separable, that you could get good policy out of a guy who's a bad person. And most Americans basically learned to agree with that because then we got a good character in the president, George W. Bush, who most Democrats decided was evil on policy. So you had a what Democrats decided a bad character with good politics, Bill Clinton, and then a good character with bad politics, George W. Bush, and then in the view of Democrats, a good character with good politics, in Barack Obama, and then a bad character of bad politics in President Trump, right? That's the view of Democrats on the various presidents that we've had over the past 20 years. What that means is that character and politics are separable. Well, if character and politics are separable, then Donald Trump can be a bad character and also be a pretty good president. But according to Democrats, they have to make the case that he's also a bad character on politics. And the solid, if the most solid case they have is that he is not intersectional enough or that he doesn't pay enough attention to climate change or that he is insufficiently insufficiently kind to illegal immigrants, that's going to be a bit of a tough case. Okay, meanwhile, I have already dubbed what this year is going to be. So I think that the year 2019 is going to be the year of the woke scold. Okay, not woke scold, woke scold. So we now live in an era in which the left insists, and this is where the radicalism of the left really comes to the fore in cultural and political terms, that, that we rewrite biology, language, religion, politics, art, all of these things must be rewritten so that we all stay woke. And if you, if you refuse to abide by these new moral strictures of the left, then this makes you immoral. This is why so many people have reacted to President Trump's character failings and said, okay, whatever, at least, you're not, at least he's not trying to tell me what to say or what to do. 
you guys are trying to tell me what to say and, and what to do. You're the new Puritans, except the Puritans actually were trying to promulgate some decent social policy once in a while. And the, the latest indicator that the left has gone too far in the woke scolding has been Louis C.K. So Louis C.K., before his downfall, was probably my favorite working comedian. And that is saying that despite the fact that Louis C.K. is a wild leftist who hated Sarah Palin, is vulgar, is vile as a human being, he's really, really funny. His, if you ever want to watch a great comedy set, go watch Louis C.K. talk about what it is like to raise children who ask too many questions. It's really, really good. His, Louis C.K. is a very talented comedian. Well, if you recall, last year, Louis C.K. was outed in the middle of the Me Too scandal, in the Me Too movement for having basically brought back female comedians to his green room and then having pushed them to watch him perform sexual acts upon himself, right? This was, this, and, and he, he went into self-imposed exile and lost tens of millions of dollars and all of the rest. Well, now he's coming back. Well, the woke scolds don't want him to come back. They say that he has, he has sinned. He can never return to public life. I mean, this is the amazing thing about the new woke scolding SJWs is that there's no such thing as repentance. There's no such thing as redemption. If you sin against them, then you must be cast out into the nether regions forever unless you are sufficiently wildly leftist like Kathy Griffin. Then, then maybe you get to come back. In any case, Louis C.K., who is indeed a wild leftist, was never supposed to come back. But now he is coming back and he did a comedy set the other night. And in this comedy set, he made some jokes. Now, Louis C.K.'s brand of comedy has always been transgressive. And we were told by the left for years that transgressive comedy was a social good. Like George Carlin, social good. Richard Pryor, social good. Blue comedy, great. Right? All of these violated barriers, violated taboos were good for society because they awakened us to our own excesses and hypocrisies. Okay, well, Louis C.K. comes back and he does a couple of jokes. And he tells a joke about Auschwitz and then he tells a joke about Parkland survivors. And then he tells a joke about gender fluidity. Here's a little bit of his set. And the left went nuts on him because apparently... Louis C.K.'s brand of humor is no longer acceptable in woke, scold world. I loved New York for 20 years. Now I'd rather be in Auschwitz. Honestly. I mean Auschwitz now, not Auschwitz. Not back then, I mean Auschwitz now. And I was kind of excited to be in my 50s and see people in their 20s and be like, they're crazy. These kids are nuts, but they're not. They're fucking in. They're just boring. You should address me. They're like royalty. They tell you what to call them. You should address me as they, them. Because I identify as gender neutral. Oh, okay. I don't know. They testify in front of Congress, these kids. Like, what the fuck? What are you doing? You're young. You should be crazy. You should be unhinged. Not in a suit saying, I'm here to tell you. You're not interesting because you went to a high school where kids got shot. Why does that mean I have to listen to you? How does that make you interesting? You didn't get shot. You pushed some fat kid in the way. And now I got to listen to you talking? Okay, so everybody's going crazy. How dare he make these jokes? Well, because he's a comedian. That's what he does. Are the jokes taboo and transgressive? Yes, but that's his whole shtick. Go back and watch his comedy routine three, four years ago. It's probably, probably now six to ten years ago in which he talks about, but where he says, of course, but maybe. It's a great comedy routine where he talks about all these things that we now consider deeply immoral, but maybe they're not, right? He talks about how, of course, of course, we should make sure that kids who have peanut allergies are never exposed to peanuts. But maybe if we just let them all be exposed to peanuts, then peanut allergies will be a thing of the past in one generation, right? He's been doing this sort of transgressive comedy his entire career. The left has decided he must be scolded out of existence. Well, and then they say we have to redefine comedy. 
where Louis C.K. is no longer funny. But you know who's seriously funny? Samantha B. Samantha B. and Hannah Gadsby. The best kind of comedy is the comedy where you don't laugh ever. See, what we've been doing wrong all these years is defining comedy as funny things, when in reality, the only thing that's funny is that we ever considered comedy funny at one time. The real comedy is you being lectured on why you aren't enough of a woke person to make those kind of jokes. That's real comedy. True comedy is that. Okay, if this is the way that the, the left wants to promulgate culture, they are going to lose. Okay, this is, the, this is the real downfall of the left. They can attack President Trump's character as much as they want. But if I have a choice between listening to the dopes who think that Louis C.K. shouldn't be able to make a taboo joke and Donald Trump tweeting like a moron from the White House, this is not a choice for me. This is a very easy choice for me. If that's my only choice, right, if it's just a black, white, one or the other choice, I don't think you should have to choose either. But if you want to choose one or the other, you think I'm going to turn over the country to people who think that Louis C.K. should be forced to tell knock-knock jokes? You think I'm going to turn over the country to a bunch of people who say that Louis C.K.'s jokes now are deeply inappropriate when 10 years ago, the same people were cheering him on when he was like ripping into Sarah Palin and calling her a C-word? Sorry, not going to buy it. You think I'm going to turn over the country to a bunch of people who have to cancel their own marches because they're not intersectional enough? In Northern California, there was a women's march. Okay, and the women's march in Northern California had to be canceled because it was too white. I'm not kidding you. They actually canceled their own women's march because they said there were not enough black people in it. This is according to the, it's Annie Weinstein of the, of the San Francisco Chronicle. Northern California women's march canceled for being overwhelmingly white. <laughs> they said the decision came after organizers and supporters of the movement noticed participants over the years had been overwhelmingly white in lieu of the march, which was originally set to take place on January 19th. Organizers will discuss a way to broaden cultural representation going forward, the committee wrote in a statement. Instead of pushing forward with crucial voices absent, the organizing team will take more time for outreach. You think I'm going to turn over the country to a bunch of people who think that you can't do a march if people aren't of the right color? Like, that, that, that sounds great to me. And then turn it over to the women's mar the anti-Semitic women's marchers who won't march unless they're more black people, and the people who think that Louis C.K. is terrible and that Kevin Hart is terrible. They'll come for Bill Burr next. You know they're coming for Bill Burr next, right? They're, they'll come after Joe Rogan. Everybody who you find funny or interesting will eventually be destroyed by the woke schools. And that's what this year is going to be. And President Trump should only be hoping and praying that if that actually happens, that it will propel him to victory again in 2020. Because the reaction to cultural woke scolding is people in politics saying, you know what, I'm not going to be scolded by these people. I'm just going to vote for whomever is most likely to break things. That's where, that's where this is going. The, the people woke, it's really funny. The people on the left think that Elizabeth Warren running for president is what's going to stop President Trump or Bernie Sanders or Beto O'Rourke. What they don't understand is the thing most likely to propel Trump back to the presidency in 2020 is not a race against any of these people. It's going to be all of the morons on Twitter and all the morons on Facebook and all the idiots in the media who think that Louis C.K. has to be scolded into subservience and obedience for telling jokes about Auschwitz or something. Like that, that's what's driving people up a wall. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. So, Things that I like this week. So there's a, a guy, really, really talented artist named Mike Miller. And uh, he was the lead artist on the Injustice series from DC Comics. Well, now he's gone independent and he has a new project called Lone Star, Heart of the Hero. And it's really worth checking out. You can go check out his Indiegogo. What's really cool is that when you do his kind of upper level Indiegogo fundraising, you can actually send copies of this new comic, Lone Star, to the troops. You can send several, a minimum of five copies to troops around the world via the U.S. So go check them out right now at Indiegogo.com. Here's a little bit of the art. It's just beautiful. Uh, go, go check out Lone Star from Mike Miller.
it's kind of like 80s style. And it's also, the, the art of it is really cool. You should go check out the, the, the art of it's really beautiful. It's, it's fun to read. So check it out, Lone Star, Heart of the Hero. And uh, if you want to give some copies to the troops, then you can go check that out at Indiegogo.com slash Projects Lone Star. Uh, that, that's, that's something worth checking out. Okay, other things that I like. I would be remiss if I did not mention President Trump's Christmas. So President Trump had himself a merry little Christmas. And I will admit that I sent this clip to probably 15 people on Christmas Eve wishing them a Merry Christmas. Why? Because President Trump did phone calls with a bunch of kids who called into the White House. And one of these kids was a seven-year-old girl. And President Trump asked the seven-year-old girl if she still believes in Santa Claus. Here he was. It was great. Okay, so first of all, yes, yes. So first, it's great. Owning the, owning the libs with certitude and confidence, President Trump, owning the seven-year-old libs who still believe in Santa Claus. I mean, that's, that is just spectacular stuff. Do you still believe in Santa Claus? Are you stupid? <laughs> like he's saying it to a seven-year-old. It's kind of borderline, right? Like what happens if she's like, yeah, I still believe in Santa Claus. It's like, oh, okay. I'll just back away slowly. All right. <laughs> Where are your parents? <laughs> Pretty spectacular. So now I will admit that I have been in the President Trump side of that phone call before. Right? I've done that to people. Like I did that when I was, I think, four. Like, it, see, in the Jewish community, we don't do the Christmas, which means we also don't do the Santa. And there was a girl who lived across the street named Colleen, and I was friends with her, and she was a nice Christian girl, and she and I were the same age. We're probably both three or four years old. And she came over to my house, and she was talking about how Santa was going to bring her lots of presents for Christmas, and I said to her, Santa's not real. And her mom got super pissed and called my parents <laughs> and wanted to know why I had said that. And my parents were like, well, is Santa real? And she's like, no, but you're not supposed to tell kids that. Like, well, we didn't do it. It was our kid. In any case, I did that when I was four. I wasn't 73 when I did that to a seven-year-old. But you got to love it. President Trump, I mean, that, that is some ownership of the libs right there. That's why we elected him. We elect, and, and no one really expected it, right? Because he had, he had ended the war on Christmas, the president. I mean, the president had fought against those assaulting Christmas. No one expected him. Like, no one expected him to simply swivel and then blitzkrieg Christmas that way, right? Like he had, he'd already ended the war and then suddenly he decided to launch his own offensive on Christmas. It was really incredible. So well done, President Trump, for, uh, for what was a studly display of, of owning with facts and knowledge. Okay, time for some things that I hate. So I will acknowledge I hate New Year's celebrations. I think New Year's celebrations are because I'm a killjoy and also because they suck. So have you ever been to a New Year's party where you're like, yeah, that was totally worth it? So my wife and I were in Times Square probably now seven or eight years ago, uh, and we had gone to a musical, and then we were going to stay in Times Square, and we decided this is probably the most miserable place to be on New Year's Eve. Just packed in in this claustrophobic place where if five people turn around and start a stampede, 100,000 people die. (laughs) This is is a bad idea. Uh, You know, staying up to to watch the, the ball drop on New Year's Eve is no fun. And you can tell when people are sort of forced to have fun. Right? It's what we at the office like to call mandatory fun, like our Christmas party. Mandatory fun right, is, is sort of what everybody has on New Year's Eve. It's like, well, it's New Year's Eve. You're supposed to have fun. It's what we have to do. And so the media members decide that they are going to force you to engage in the fun along with them. And this means that we are going to watch news anchors act like morons. 
one of the things I find hilarious about this is we have gotten nonstop virtue signaling from the media all day long, all day long, all, all year long, for years now, about how the United States is now a dangerous place for members of the news media. Let me ask you a question. When you watch those broadcasts on New Year's Eve of members of the news media getting drunk and talking about their sex lives, did this seem to you like a wildly dangerous place for members of the news media? It didn't to me. Why are we having on random celebrities who were last relevant in 1973 to talk about the countdown to 2019? No one knows. But here was NBC talking about steaming of the genitals on their New Year's Eve countdown show because this is solid TV. Mandatory fun, guys. Chrissy Teigen talking about steaming her genitals. Um, a classic v- vaginal steaming. Um, yeah, sorry. I like to steam my vag. I'd rather I don't not like to do it, but listen, if GP tells me to do it, I'm kind of into what it. What does that mean? You steam your vag. All right, don't say it. It doesn't matter. Listen, doesn't it's matter. A, there's a lot to explain with it, but I did it. Whatever. You should be in prison. I mean, I guess it's better than dry cleaning down there. But in any case, I, I, what? Like this is on the New Year's Eve. There are kids who actually watch this stuff. And yet that was the thing that was that was happening. That wasn't the only thing that was happening on the networks. CNN's Anderson Cooper decided to talk about his mom's sex life on air. He talked about one time when his mom nailed Marlon Brando, which I mean, honestly, is no shock. Apparently, Richard Pryor also nailed Marlon Brando, which is which is more of a shocker. Richard Pryor and Marlon Brando, like the, the villain from Superman 3 and Superman's dad getting it on in like 1979. Things are weird. In any case, here was, here was Anderson Cooper talking about his mom's sex life on CNN. Don't worry. These are respected members of the media. Stop it. They are journalisming. These are journalists. Take them seriously. They must be taken seriously. Here's Anderson Cooper, who I guess we're supposed to take seriously. It, working with him, he's just so inventive. My mom hooked up with him. She did? With hot Marlon Brando, not like Apocalypse Now Marlon Brando. Oh, she, uh, she hooked up with like, uh, I think it was uh, on the waterfront Marlon Brando. Wow. She, she and Carol Mathau both watched the movie Lucky and lady. both made a yeah. deal that they were going to meet up. <laughs> did they really? Yeah, Carol You're did not it. kidding. Carol right? got it first and then set it up for my mom. <laughs> okay, well, that's always good stuff is when you're talking about your mom's sex life on national TV. I can't imagine if that affected... Anderson Cooper as a child or anything. In any case, very, very weird. And then CNN's Randy Kay, another great reporterist, drinking champagne from a bong live on New Year's Eve. These are journalists who are very much in danger. Remember, President Trump has endangered their lives. President Trump has single-handedly put their lives in danger. They are so afraid that they are out at public bars drinking from champagne bongs on New Year's Eve on the most populous night of the, of the year. I mean, look, look at the date. This is true journalism. Here we go. Really? Just a little bit. All right. I tried no. to... Yeah. yeah. All right. You ready? You gotta hold it up. Uh, That's a bad idea. Alright, this is not a good idea. Not a good idea. Oh, yeah! Yes. Oh, that was an excellent oh. idea, actually. That was excellent! Right. Okay, and, and it turns out that the, the, worst move, the worst move of the night came courtesy of CNN as well. Jane Curtin, who I guess is some sort of commentator for CNN. She came on CNN. Don't know who she is or which crypt she crawled out of, but she says that she, she has a New Year's resolution to ensure the GOP dies. Uh, great. Fantastic stuff, guys. My New Year's resolution is to make sure that the Republican Party dies. Well, that's that's so funny. That's like amazing. Wow. So she's a comedian sometimes, I guess. She was referred to as the queen of deadpan um, and was included in a 1986 list of the top primetime actors and actresses of all time. Awesome. Thank you, Wikipedia. So 
Yeah, the media doing doing yeoman's work each and every day to remind us why they are in the positions that they are. But we're supposed to take them seriously, but we're not supposed to take President Trump seriously because they're serious people and Trump is not a serious person. Okay, well, we'll be back here tomorrow. Now, let me remind you, it is a brand new year. It's going to be a long year. It's going to be a hard slog. We're going to be here with you every step of the way. We're going to be enjoying, having fun, breaking it all down for you. And we can't wait to do it because it's going to be a blast. See you tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Senya Villarreal, executive producer Jeremy Boring, senior producer Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, and our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Alex Ingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Caramina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire Ford Publishing production. Copyright Ford Publishing 2018. Hi, everybody. I'm Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. Happy New Year's 2019. We're going to look at the news and remember why we're here and what we're fighting for and why I think we're living in a quiet place. I'm Andrew Claven. That's on The Andrew Claven Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.